I'm Jessica, and this is Homecoming, finding yourself in life's little moments. Hi, dear listener. I am sitting on my bench, my favorite bench, overlooking the ocean, facing east. It's midday, a cloudy day, a kind of gentle, soft, cloudy day, but not so cloudy that the sun can't be seen shining through. And I'll always remember talking with a dear friend of mine, a woman of great faith, and I said to her, you know, when the sun shines on me like that, it feels like it's God shining down. And she said, Jess, it is God. So that sun right now is shining down as I'm speaking with you, and like it's radiating through the clouds with this luminous yellow-white color, bright, penetrating. And out towards the horizon, in fact, there are some whales, because this time of year here in the southern hemisphere, in June, the whales are making their migratory journey back north to the warmer waters. And up there in the subtropics, they'll give birth to their babies, and then they'll come back down. And their return is something that I'll be anticipating with great delight because when they bring their babies, they're full of joy and exuberance. All the whale families, the daddy, the mommy, the baby whales. It's really, really incredible. And I'll always remember seeing last October when they were coming back this way, the babies jumping out of the water, testing their prowess. <laughs> exerting their their strength and exploring what it means to breach and showing their parents that they could do that. So to see these beautiful whale families is like a great gift. And you know what I want to talk to you about today, dear listeners, is one aspect of what a family is. And I can tell you from my own experience that one of the greatest things that a child can be given is a strong male presence in his or her life. Now, my daddy left when I was six, so that had an enormous impact, probably more than I can even really gauge, but it would shape my choices for decades to come. And I want to begin by kind of sharing with you something that really, really moved me in the light of what it means to have the benefit of a strong man in one's life. And I'm speaking from the point of view of a woman, of a girl, the girl that I was and the woman that I am now. But I was looking on YouTube, and there's something very wonderful about YouTube is that things kind of pop up, and you end up watching things that you might not have been aware of or only peripherally aware of. So I was, um, I was looking on YouTube, and I saw a clip of Kevin Costner the famous actor, and he was giving a eulogy for Whitney Houston, one of the great singers of the 20th century. 
and he was there a white man in a church filled with her mourning friends and family a black baptist church in new jersey and he began his eulogy by saying you know on the surface one would think that whitney and i had very little in common but the fact is that it wasn't true and then he began to talk about how he had proposed to include her in a movie that he was acting in i don't know if he actually produced it as well but he was the star of a movie that would be produced called the bodyguard and that movie was made in 1992 so we're talking almost 30 years ago which is kind of hard to believe but there in front of all of those deeply sorrowful friends and family of this great 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 singer he talked about how he had the idea that she would be his co-star she would play the main character in some sense playing herself because in the movie she was a singer a famous singer and although by that time Whitney Houston had become absolutely world famous and was recognized as one of the great singers really of all time she was nervous she was nervous about auditioning for this role because apparently the studios that were producing this movie insisted that she do a screen test and that she have an audition so they could see how it would all go have a sense of it anyway and kevin costner standing there giving this eulogy described that afternoon when whitney houston had her audition for the movie the bodyguard and how they had done her makeup and she was getting ready to go but said to Kevin Costner I need a few minutes and she was there alone in the trailer I guess and he was waiting and he thought to himself maybe she was praying and after she came out she did that screen test and after about 2 minutes or so or 3 minutes they closed the lights and said they had to stop and she was mortified what would have happened what could have happened why did they just stop the audition so she went back to her trailer with kevin costner and he turned her to look in the mirror and her makeup had run down her face because what had happened was that in that time alone she had put on her own makeup which apparently couldn't withstand the heat of the lights but that image of kevin costner standing behind her as she looked in the mirror at her makeup running and tears running down her cheeks is a kind of moment it's a kind of moment because there she was in the most vulnerable state one could probably ever be in he explained what had happened and because he was an actor he knew all the ins and outs of those kinds of things she didn't and then she went back and you know with the proper makeup auditioned and the rest as they say is history the movie would end up being the second highest grossing movie of that year and she would become known for her role with kevin costner an incredible role of romance and love he's her bodyguard and he protected her he protected her from the moment when she was asked to audition for that role he was protecting her 
And there she was. She did it. She made it. She created that movie with him. And millions of people saw it around the world. So in this YouTube clip that I was watching, his eulogy for Whitney Houston, it was so moving. It was so moving. He was describing all of this, and it was like he was there with her from the beginning, you know? It was like they were always together in some very, very, very deep way. And at the end of that eulogy, Kevin Costner commended her to God, which is the ultimate act of guardianship. You commend your beloved to God. And he did that in front of all of the people who'd come there in their grief and sorrow and the millions and millions of people who would have been watching that on TV. He commended her to God. So, dear listener, this podcast is about what it means for a woman to have a bodyguard like that. To have a man in her life that can stand beside her in his strength, in love, and what that ultimately makes possible for a woman. Now, I might end up sounding very much like a traditionalist, but I just feel that this is true. I'll always remember when I was a journalist for a period of years, I was doing an article in which I had an opportunity to interview the renowned anthropologist, Dr. Helen Fisher. And an anthropologist is someone who studies human culture over decades, centuries, and millennia, and they see the patterns in human behavior, and that's the topic of their interest. And I'll always remember, because this article was about women, I'll always remember Dr. Helen Fisher saying to me, because I'd asked her, you know, about women and men, and she said to me, Jessica, she said, women love powerful men, and they have for two million years. So, dear listener, what does that mean? What is a powerful man? Okay, one might think powerful in stature, certainly. Powerful in strength, certainly. But I think, you know, that while that is true and is forms a kind of depth of desire for women because of what Dr. Fisher said so succinctly, because a powerful man would literally provide for a woman and enable her to be more secure and to survive better. Okay, we're just talking about the fundamentals of life as it has stood for millennia, perhaps a bit less now, really, but certainly over many, many, many years. But that strength now, the definition of what it means can be really expanded into the realms of what Kevin Costner was expressing. It's a kind of strength that is grounded in love and in a recognition on the part of the man in who the woman really, really is. Now, in some sense, you know, this podcast follows from the previous two or three podcasts that I've done in which for the first time I came out and described some of what went on in the marriage in which I lived and, uh, had for many years. And I have to tell you that it was two men who convinced me that I should do that because there were some really good reasons that I was, I couldn't find the strength and the courage to actually do it. I really didn't have it. 
And two men said to me, and independently of each other, Jess, you have to you have to bring out your story. So, one of those men is named Daniel Piatek, and he is a a beautiful, beautiful person. And what's interesting is that three and a half years ago, when I was still married, he appeared on my couch. <laughs> he some he was somebody that I knew um, somewhat, but for some reason, God kind of placed him in my life again. And there he was, and we were having sort of a conversation. I was married. We were getting to sort of be friends again and so on. But he said to me, he said, afterwards, he began to reflect a sense that something wasn't quite right. And that was the catalyst for the beginning of the end of my marriage and my actually ending up walking out the door, realizing that I had to for my own sake, my own well-being, my own sanity, and my own health, and uh, everything that one clings to in life. So, so what happened over the course of the next three years is that he would become a kind of confidant. And I have to add here that this was not a romantic, this was no, in no way a romantic relationship. It was a true friendship it was a kind of guardianship. I can't even count the times that I called him to to ask, what do I do, you know? I mean, I had a real situation. I was trying to extract myself from multiple situations, not just my marriage, but others. And I'll always remember one afternoon in May, so this would have been two years ago, I was really almost at the end of my rope. <laughs> and I called him, and he was in his car driving and happened to be in you know reachable and I said I think I think I'm going down and it was the scariest moment dear listener I think that I've actually ever had in my life because I felt that I was looking down into a kind of abyss the bottom of which I couldn't see and that I was being sucked into it I called Daniel and I said I think I'm losing it for no fault of my own but because of the stress. And I think as a footnote to this, I want to say that, you know, we think of mental illness and so on as something that's kind of inherent to the person, like some some shortcoming, some weakness, something that that person holds within themselves. I have to say that my theory, and certainly my own personal experience, is that it actually rarely has to do with a person's shortcomings or weaknesses or inherent lack of of health mental health psychological health it has to do with what has happened to that person what is happening to that person and what they cannot sustain what they cannot cope with so when i called daniel that afternoon thinking that i was on the doorstep of a psychiatric residence like the psychiatric residences that I've played music at, he said to me, you're not crazy. This all makes sense. This all makes sense. Don't worry. Keep going. And he was there to buoy me at a time when I thought I was really, literally losing it. So 
that is a kind of love, dear listener, that holds the most immense value. That's a life-saving love. And the other man is named Thomas, and he is somebody that I've known of since I was probably 10 or 12 years old, having grown up in the same town, who reconnected with me, having heard these podcasts actually online, which is interesting, and wanting to know, you know, what had become of me after all these years. So these are the two men. And he said to me, as we began to sort of talk about everything, he said, you have to, you have to come out with your story. You have to do it. Because Daniel had said to me, too, he said, you know, you have to come out with your story. He said, it's going to free you. Those were his words. It's going to free you. And then this other male friend of mine, you know, he said to me, he said, what I've come to realize is that breeding fear and a sense of isolation and silencing are the abuser's tools of choice. It is what they're adept at. They seek to render their adversary powerless and isolated and alone. So tell your story, Jessica, and you have taken back much of your power and undermined the very apparatus that depends on silencing. It's the saddest thing in the world when a person learns, as you did, that someone you believe truly loved you ultimately loved your powerlessness and fear more. But it's far worse to remain in fear when that has the power to utterly unmake your world. There's power in truth, and as you come forward with your story, it will help nudge this world towards healing. So you see, those two men like sentinels in my life gave me the courage to come forth with the truth. I keep saying it, but Jesus said the truth will set us free. But I didn't have the strength and courage to do it. It actually took two men to convince me, to make me feel the strength, to feel the strength, to have the strength to come forward. So You know, when I think about women in history who have done remarkable things, I have to tell you that one of my very, very favorites, and in fact, a a person who is my actual patron saint, (laughs) a woman named Hildegard von Bingen. She lived around 1100, so we're talking about almost a thousand years ago. And... She was a abbess, so she was the head of a... She ended up becoming the head of a a nunnery, a place where women could be safe and um, pursue their love of God. Because at that time, it wasn't safe for women. And she stuck her neck out to create a place that would be a safe haven for women. And there were men behind her to help her do it. There was St. Bernard of Clavaux, who was an extraordinary man. And the letters between her and 
some of the men in her life at that time are really, really beautiful because what you see is you see that same sense of support, conviction, care, love, and guardianship that I felt with these two men that I'm describing to you that Whitney Houston felt with Kevin Costner that other women have felt in their lives so again you know I may sound like a traditionalist but I believe that what Helen Fisher said is really true there is something about what a man can do for a woman in this day and age because the truth is you see it's like what are we comparing this to so we're we're actually looking at this so what context are we looking at this in we're looking at this in the context of the fact that women are suffering enormously at the hands of men right that's the context who we actually face the fact that so much of this suffering is going on behind the scenes and it's invisible so when a man comes out and says to a woman you can come forth with your story and another person that comes to my mind is the renowned actor Patrick Stewart who grew up in a environment of abuse his father was highly abusive towards his mother and he was affected by that so I recently read an article by him, and Patrick Stewart said this in an article that I recently read, in which he was advocating and, and publicizing his work with and for a network of women's refuges called Refuge in England. And he said, he described his early life, and he said, you know, our house was small, and when you grow up with domestic violence in a confined space, you learn to gauge very precisely the temperature of situations. I knew exactly when the shouting was done and a hand was about to be raised. I also knew exactly when to insert a small body between the fist of my father and my mother's face, a skill no child should ever have to learn. Because of that experience, Patrick Stewart is using his notoriety, his means to advocate for women. And that goes a long way. As much as women can advocate for themselves, dear listener, I actually feel that strong men, and this is going to be a kind of strength now that it has got to be sort of defined in you in the 21st century is going to mean it's going to be a, you know, a man who can come forth and realize the totality of a woman's experience over eons, over time and be able to stand for what it means now for women to be free of the abuse that they've suffered which is just you know extraordinary so when I posted those podcasts a few weeks ago, I got many beautiful responses from women, women who said that they themselves had had similar kinds of experiences, but didn't have the, the courage to come out with it, you know, to be able to share it in the way that I had done. And those responses were incredibly moving to me. Alongside them, there were several responses from men. And I have to tell you that there was something that those responses did for me that I'd never anticipated. And I'll read one. 
this person said, this man said, I have always loved and respected your talent, but that respect stands in the shadow of how much I respect and admire your honesty and courage. You are an amazing person, and you have shared something that will change people's lives. I salute you. Now, dear listener, at the outset of what I think now is a kind of next grand chapter in the life of this earth, that comment, as I read it to you, carries for me the promise of how the entirety of human life as we know it, of the relationships between men and women, can be recast, can be formed anew into something that is a true partnership in the myriad forms that that can take, a true partnership, where men have the strength, perspective, courage, and humanity to stand by and for women in the light of the untold eons and instances of suffering that women have endured at the hands of men, take it all into their heart, right, and say, no more, no more. My mission now, if I choose to accept it, which some men are beginning to do, is to become like bodyguards for us women so that we can come forward and emerge free free it's a new kind of way of being and I would never have really been able to share this experience if it hadn't have been for these men that I described to you whether it's in my own life personally or some things that I've seen or people that have responded to my to my work like I just shared with you that's what's enabled me to, uh, to be able to say this. So that's what I wanted to share with you, dear listener. It's my sense of what is now the beginning of kind of the birth of a new world. You know, I'm a natural optimist. I'm a natural optimist. I've suffered a lot, but I have a great optimism in who we are as human beings and in what's possible. And I'm beginning to see the inklings of it. And it's a really, really, really awesome thing. So I pay deep respect to the men who have helped save me. And believe me, there are women too. I think that's probably going to be another podcast. But this one is about men. And I feel that uh, it's really in, in honor of who they are and what they're giving to me and have given to me. So with that, dear listener, as I stand overlooking the vast Pacific on this beautiful, beautiful earth, the whales way out at sea with their little puffs making their way north to give birth to their babies, I bid you adieu and say stay strong because there's a lot ahead of us. It'll take everything we got and more, but it's a glorious, glorious, glorious calling and journey. God bless you. Bye for now. Bye.